I was trying to hold it together, but Christy uh, almost made me lose it. So I'm thinking, all I got to do, I got to get through this lecture and then I can cry. But uh, so thank you for coming today. It is a joy to just see your faces and thank you for being part of Heart to Heart. And this has been such a special time in my life. This is my baby. And we were talking about that this morning that I feel like I am handing my precious baby over to Christy. And if there's anybody that I feel better, I, there's no one I feel better about handing my baby to than Christy. Uh, I still call her McFarland, but Christy Bicknell. So um, I'm excited to see what God has for us. So it's going in and out. I hope that, I mean, I don't know why, but we'll see if it, maybe I'm just moving. Um, well, as we jump into our Second Timothy study, uh, the end of it is we finish it. In my first six months in East Asia, uh, I made a decision one day that could either be characterized as steadfast or stupid. <laughs> and I will let you make that call as I explain a little bit more about it. Uh, we went to East Asia to study the language, and we were out in this far remote place. We used to say, this is the uttermost part of the earth. God, we're there. And our teachers decided that they wanted to take us on a trip to this beautiful mountain. It's famous in this country. It just sticks straight up out of the ground. So we took a day train trip with our teachers. There were 12 of us that were uh, studying. And we got to this place the night before and we made our plans to climb the mountain the next morning. Well, the next morning came and it was storming. I'm still cutting in and out. It may be my mic. I don't know. But uh, we, you know, I may need the, I don't know if I need the handheld or what. Well, we'll see. I'll, it's okay. All right, good. Okay, good. Um, but we made our plans. But the next morning it was storming. It was thundering, it was pouring down rain, it was cold, the wind was blowing, and our teachers at breakfast said, we're just going to have to cancel this climb. This is too dangerous, you can't do it. They left and went back to the rooms, and we sat there and said, nope, we have come this far, we are not going to leave this place without climbing that mountain. We're, we can do this. And so we went and got our equipment, I mean, got our ponchos, our backpacks, and we took off across the field to go to the base of the mountain without our teachers. And it was pouring down rain, windy, and they came running behind us. We could hear them right as we got to the base of the mountain. They came running behind us, and they said, what are you all doing? And we said, we came to climb this mountain, and nothing is going to stop us. And so they said, well, if you're going to die, we're going to have to die with you. <laughs> and so we started. And I have a picture of the mountain. Um, now, let me just say, this is a modern picture of the mountain where they've got a rope along the edge. When we climbed it back in the 80s, there was no rope. Um, you just, you, you walked. Huh? There was a pathway, but I don't even think it was paved. I think we just walked on dirt and mud. Anyway, we did this. We got to the top, at, uh, not quite to the peak, and there was a ridge that you had to walk across that was very narrow, and it was a sheer drop on either side. 
It was storming. It was misty, foggy. You could not even see what was at the other end of this ridge. And we sat there and looked at each other, and we all said, the guys included, I am scared to death. But we didn't come that far. <laughs> we were going to be steadfast. And so one by one, we got on our hands and knees, and we crawled across that ridge, hanging on to every rock we could find. And we made it to the other side. Um, right, we had to come back, but we, <laughs> but we all made it down. Now, I like to think that we were steadfast. But the next week, uh, in the newspaper, there was a story of an American student who had been blown off that very ridge and killed in the middle of a storm. And I thought, okay, maybe we were stupid, uh, but I still like to think we were steadfast. I hope, though, that that gives you a picture of steadfastness. Nothing is going to keep us from reaching our goal. Now, I never told my mom about that, so... <laughs> But when I think of Paul, I think of steadfastness. And last week, we looked at his six-word story, fought, fight, finished course, kept faith. Paul finished well, even though he faced challenges. Steadfastness was part of his legacy as he stood steadfast in a variety of storms. And will steadfastness be part of our legacy? Well, in our passage this week, 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 18, we see five storms or five challenges that Paul faced that could have threatened his steadfastness and five storms that we are probably going to face in our lives. Paul modeled steadfastness through every storm, will we? So if we want to leave a legacy of eternal significance, we have to stand steadfast in the storms of life. And that's our challenge this week. So let's look at these storms that Paul touched on and how we can stand steadfast in each one. The first one is the storm of disappointment. Verse 10. He begins by sharing about a man named Demas in verse 10. And he says, for Demas... Having loved this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. And Demas had once been part of the ministry with Paul. He had traveled with him. He had worked alongside him to disciple in, these, in the churches. And then for whatever reason, he chose to follow the world. And he left Paul. He left the ministry. Can you imagine the disappointment in Paul's heart as somebody that he had maybe led to the Lord, we don't know, but he worked with in the ministry that all of a sudden loved the world more than he loved Jesus. And we're all going to face those kind of things. Um, Paul could have gotten discouraged. He could have said, what's the use? I failed. Obviously, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I could have done better. He could have beat himself up, but he didn't. Paul stayed steadfast in the storm of disappointment. And every one of us are going to face storms of disappointment in life. It may be 
somebody we love that falls away from the Lord. I've, I've led people to Christ that have done that. Or discipled women that have walked away from them. It's a disappointing thing. Maybe it's, it could be a child or somebody in your family that has taken a path that you did not want them to take. Or maybe it's just your life did not turn out the way you wanted it to turn out. My, I mean, I've been disappointed with my life. I mean, earlier on, I'm very content with it now, but things just don't go the way that we want them to. So how do we stay steadfast in the storm of disappointment? We trust God's sovereignty. And I'm going to give you this question in every one of these storms. How do we stand steadfast in the storm? And in the storm of disappointment, the way we stay steadfast is we trust God's sovereignty. God, God is still in control no matter what happens. No matter how bad a situation looks. We can look at characters in the Bible and bad things happening. And yet how God used them for his bigger plan. And I just have to remember that when I'm disappointed, God, you are still in control. Even though this person didn't do what I was hoping they would do. Well, that's the first storm. The second storm is the storm of loneliness. Verses 9 to 13 Paul was alone in prison. He knew his time on this earth was coming quickly to an end and he wanted companionship. But he had been used to working in teams with people, with disciples in churches. He was used to discipling and sharing the gospel. And now he is sitting alone in a prison. He wasn't under house arrest. People couldn't come and see him. And he expressed that loneliness in verse 5 when he said, make every effort to come to me soon. And he wanted him to bring his cloak and the parchments. He wanted some familiarity. He was lonely. And then in verses 10 to 12, he mentions friends that were serving somewhere else. He missed them. And sometimes God takes our closest friends away and moves them somewhere else. And we, we go through a season of loneliness. And in verse 11, he tells us that only Luke is with me, but that didn't mean that Luke was in the prison with them. I mean, we don't know how often Luke was even able to visit him. Most scholars believe that Luke just took care of his medical needs, so the only time he could really see Paul was when he was needed medical attention. We don't know for sure, but he was not around fellow believers on a regular basis, and he was lonely. And Paul stood steadfast in that storm. He could have um, just given up and gotten depressed and said, woe is me and, you know, I just, I'm just going to sit here. But he didn't. He continued to write this letter to Timothy, which was his final letter. He continued to spur Timothy and other young men on with his words written down. And it continues to spur us on. We're all going to struggle with loneliness from time to time. And we were meant for community. We need companionship. And I think we'll always remember the year 2020 when we went through those three months of, of uh, sheltering at home and we were isolated from other people. 
And it was hard. I mean, I would go to the grocery store sometime just to be able to see people and hear them chatter. But we get lonely, and yet God always provides for us. And this is a time that, you know, I'm thankful that God provided for me during those three months uh, some furry companions, which several of you have asked me, please show some pictures of your cats before you finish teaching. So... um, this was, and these, I'm going to show you three pictures, and all these were taken during the COVID shutdown when I was working on our Bible study on prayer during this time. They were on my lap or sitting with me while I worked on everything. They were great little companions, Hobson and Hannah. And they have different personalities. Uh, let me show you Hobson. Um, <laughs> Hobson it was my editor who always let me know do you think that's a good question? Do you think your ladies are going to like that question? I don't think so. <laughs> he was always in the middle of everything. And then the, Hannah just wanted to just be there when I was studying the Word. I mean, so I just had to throw those pictures in. They were great little companions that kept me from getting lonely. Um, they just loved on me a lot. But we need companionship. And there are going to be those seasons that we're lonely. So how do we stay steadfast in the us lost? I don't know what's going on. So, well, anyway. Um, How do we stay steadfast in the storm of loneliness? We embrace God's presence. Use those times that you're lonely, to deepen your relationship with the Lord. I think back during those three months of being home with, with uh, the COVID shutdown, I took time to just deepen my relationship with the Lord because I didn't have to rush through my time with Him. Embrace His presence when you're by yourself. I have moved a lot in my life, but one of the hardest moves that I made was when I moved from Houston to Dallas. And I was a perfusionist. I uh, decided I was tired of teaching the students and I wanted to do perfusion for myself. So I took a job in Dallas, packed up my car with two cats and a few suitcases. That's all I had and moved to Dallas. I did not know anybody except for the people in the hospital that I was working with. And none of them were Christians that I knew of. It was hard, and I would drive an hour to Fort Worth to go to work and then drive home, and I'd go home every night, and I'd think, Lord, I just need some Christian fellowship. And every Sunday, I would go to church, a different church, looking for fellowship, looking for friends, and I'd say, God, please let me meet somebody that I can go to lunch with or dinner with. And week after week, I'd go into churches, and not one person would say anything. And that's why I'm so committed to the greeting ministry at First Evan, because I know what it's like to walk into a church and everybody's in their little clusters and not one person says something to you. So I, I see that need and what a difference it makes. And so one day I went to a church and a lady who's one of the seminary professors sat down by me before the service started talking And after church, we continued to talk. And then she invited me to the women's Bible study. And 
I got plugged in. I knew that was going to be my church home. But I was so lonely during that time until God provided a church. And I was also scared because I had no accountability. I thought, Lord, nobody knows how I'm doing. I could go off the deep end and who's going to know? But that was a time that, again, I embraced God's presence because he was all I had at that time until he brought in those friends from that church. So those are the first two storms that can hinder us from standing standfast, disappointment, and loneliness. A third storm is a storm of opposition. Verses 14 to 15, he said, Alexander, the coppersmith, did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Alexander, but he probably testified against Paul at his trial. That, that he probably said things that harmed Paul's reputation and may have been the very things that he said, maybe he's responsible for putting him in prison. We don't know, but we do know he vigorously opposed Paul's teaching, the gospel message. He was against Paul. When I was living in East Asia, again, uh, in these first six months, I was with a group of 12 people studying the language in a very remote place and only half of us were Christians. The other six were not. And it became apparent to them that we were Christians. And they, um, they didn't like it. And so one day they came back to the dorm. We were all sitting there talking. And they came back to the dorm and they said, Y'all are going to prison. We've reported to the police. We've reported you to the police. And they're coming. And we got scared. I mean, and we had not broken the law. The law at that time, we were told, you cannot initiate sharing the gospel in this country. But if somebody asks you about your relationship or your, your religion, you are free to respond. And that's what we were doing. They were asking us, the people around the dorm that cleaned and fed us, they would ask us, you know, like, well, do you believe in God? And we talk about it. But we weren't breaking any laws. And so, sure enough, that afternoon, the police came. And they took us one by one into a room. And they interrogated us. And asked, you know, are you a Christian? Are you talking about it? And we told the truth. Yes, I am a Christian. Yes, I do talk about it when they ask me questions. Well, there was nothing they could do. I mean, we weren't breaking the law. And so we went free but there was that storm of opposition that you felt like, I don't know that, I mean, I'll be honest, all six of us after that, that afternoon said, you know, I think it's time to get on that train and get back to this big city and let's go home. Let's quit. We did. We were scared because of the opposition. We did not, and I will tell you, if we had gone to prison in that place, they would have never... You, heard of us again. We wanted to quit, but God was calling us to stay. And there are going to be people that are going to oppose you, us, and what we're teaching. 
And they may not threaten to send you to prison, but they will oppose you. And how will we stand? Will we get discouraged and quit? Or will we stand steadfast? So how do we stay steadfast in the storm of opposition? We follow God's calling. If God has called us to do something or to a place, we stand firm in that calling and trust God. That's what we decided in, that, in East Asia. We said, you know what? We may lose our lives here, but God has called us here. And we're not going anywhere until he calls us elsewhere. We follow God's calling. Even though it may not be comfortable, we trust him with it. So then the fourth storm is the storm of abandonment. And Paul said in verse 16, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. And when he says my first defense, he's probably referring to the hearing that took place before his present trial. And at these hearings, friends would usually come and stand in defense of the accused. And they would defend the accused and say, no, he's not guilty of this. He's a great person. You're wrong in condemning him. But not one person came to stand in Paul's defense. They all, they just didn't come. And they were probably afraid. Well, will I be put in prison if I defend Paul? But he felt abandoned. He felt deserted by friends and co-workers when he needed them the most. But he did not hold it against them. And he prayed that God would not count it against them. Same thing with Alexander. What a heart he had. He did not hold revenge or grudge. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't angry. So how do we stand steadfast through the storm of abandonment? When we feel like people have kind of let us down and left us, we draw from God's strength. In verse 17, Paul said, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. The way we stay steadfast in those times of feeling abandoned is by looking to the Lord, knowing that He is standing right there with us and that He will give us the strength to keep going. And He will give us the strength to forgive those who have hurt us because it's hard. Have you ever felt abandoned by friends or family? It may be a spouse that's left you or a friend that you thought would be there. I remember when I first went on staff with Campus Crusade crew now, but we called it Campus Crusade, and I had to raise support. And it, when I went on staff with Crusade, it wasn't a, a well-known organization. Um, people thought it was a cult. Raising support was just this new idea of what? And so, but I thought that my home church and my friends would be there to support me and to be part of this ministry with me. And so I went, I went to families that I'd grown up knowing. I mean, they were friend, family friends, and I went to them, and they didn't respond the way I thought. They just said, nope, not giving you, I'm not sending you off to some cult. 
I'm not giving you one dollar. Um, nope, not there. And I remember I wanted to quit. I actually went home, got on my knees in tears after one appointment with the, a man, the family that I thought would really support me, and they didn't. And he was actually the harshest one about, you're following a cult, and I'm going to pray that you get out of it. And I went home and got on my knees, and I cried, and I said, God, have I missed your calling? I just don't think I can do this. So maybe I just need to quit. And I turned in my Bible to Second Chronicles 20 and Jehoshaphat's prayer and just said, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And he just impressed on my heart, this is what I've called you to do, you do it. And the very next day, I made a phone call and got this huge supporter. And God confirmed. But abandonment can make us just fizzle out. It can make us want to quit when people aren't there for us that we thought would be there. We can't let that wipe us out. So we've looked at four storms in life that threatened to shake our, our, us, our steadfastness Disappointment, loneliness, opposition, abandonment. And then we come to the fifth storm. The storm of spiritual warfare. You know, Paul was proclaiming the gospel. He was teaching about Christ. The enemy did not like it. And so he faced the storm of spiritual warfare. And at the end of verse 17, he said, I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. And who is the lion? I mean, you know, some say it was Nero. Uh, I believe it's Satan. Because 1 Peter 5, 8 to 9, it talks about the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, but resist him firm in your faith. The lion, Satan, does not want us to proclaim the gospel. He does not want us to disciple other people. He does not want us to pray. He does not want us to study the word of God or teach the word of God. And when we're threatening his territory, he will lash out at us and we are under attack. And he'll try to get us to blame God when life gets hard or question that God loves us. But Paul stayed steadfast. He had confidence in his God during this storm. And in verse 18, he said, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. He knew God was on his side. He knew that God would fight Satan for him. He knew that the victory was already won. He knew that Christ had won the victory through his death and his resurrection. The victory was already there. All he had to do was claim it. And that's what we need to do. With Christ in us, we don't need to worry about losing the battle because Christ has won it. We have to draw from that, claim it. So how do we stand steadfast in the storms of spiritual warfare? We claim Christ's victory. With Christ in us, we can stand 
steadfast against any attack of Satan. If you, uh, I've been reading a book by Judy Dunnigan, a good friend of mine, called The Loudest Roar. And um, I highly recommend it about spiritual warfare. And she just reminds us of how the battle is already won. We just need to live in that victory. Last year, I had something happen that was very discouraging to me. And I, I remember telling and saying, you know, I'm, I quit. I quit. I'm not doing this anymore. And um, I was talking to Judy, actually, and saying, I, I'm done. Because the situation was just, it, I thought, I'm not going to handle it. And she said, Cricket, the battle's won. You just need to tell the enemy that he's lost. He does not want people to pray. He does not want people to study prayer. You tell him he's lost. So I went home that night I, and I walked through my house. And I'm going to tell you what I did, but you may think I'm crazy. But I walked through my house and I'm talking out loud and I'm thanking Jesus for his death and his resurrection, that he's won the victory. And then I talked to Satan and I said, listen, you've lost. You don't have a chance Jesus has beat you, and I am standing in that, so we're moving forward, and you might as well go somewhere else. Now, I don't know if he could hear me or not, but I just wanted to make sure I had all my bases covered. And there was a freeing sense of, yes, Jesus, my victory's in you. You have won this victory. But that's how we stay steadfast in the storms of spiritual warfare. We claim the victory that's already ours. You know, Paul could have ended his life in prison blaming God. Look at me, God. I mean, this, is this how you wanted me to end my life in prison? He could have become bitter towards those people who abandoned him and who accused him. But he didn't. Instead, he ends this letter with praise. In verse 18, he says, To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What a great example for you and me. I pray that when we are in our last days and last breath, that we're praising God. When my mom was in her last days, I would turn on praise music of some of her favorite hymns, not knowing if she could hear them, but just hoping that that might just help her to praise him at the end. Well, we've looked at five storms that Paul faced. And five storms that we're going to face that could hinder our steadfastness. We've looked at disappointment, loneliness, opposition, abandonment, spiritual warfare. What storm are you in the middle of today? And it may be one that we didn't even talk about. How are you going to respond? Paul's challenge to us and to Timothy is to stand steadfast in the storms of life. Just like we did not give up on climbing that mountain in East Asia in that storm, that's how I want to be in my life. And that's how I want you to be. That we would say, nope, we're, we're going to continue on. Paul left a legacy of eternal significance through his example of steadfastness and all the other qualities that we've looked at over these eight weeks. And that's my prayer for us, 
is that every one of us in this room would leave a legacy of eternal significance. My prayer is that you and I would live our lives in such a way that we would make a difference for Jesus, for his kingdom. That we not waste our lives, but that we would live it wholeheartedly for him. I want to thank you all for giving me the opportunity to be your women's ministry director for the last uh, 17 years. And I will miss standing here every week, every Tuesday teaching. But I'm not going anywhere. Can't get rid of me. And I will be here. I'll just be one of the girls. I cannot wait to see what God is going to do in our lives. But let's finish this journey together. Let's, let's stay steadfast, ladies. I, I want to thank you for letting me be part of your life. And I pray that I've made a difference in your life. But I also want to thank you for making a difference in my life. Because you have helped me grow to be who God has me today. And I will always be thankful for you all. So let me pray and we'll just have some good food together. Father, thank you so much for your word and thank you for this letter of 2 Timothy. And Lord, I just want to thank you for these women. I love them. I have loved being able to shepherd them. And I know I've not pleased everybody. But God, thank you for this opportunity and this family. And I pray that, Lord, we would continue to just grow deeper in our walk. I thank you for Christy and bringing her here for such a time as this. And I'm so excited to be able to hand the baton to her, knowing that she will take this to the next level. Father, keep us close to you. Keep us steadfast. And thank you for what you're going to do in our lives in the coming years. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.